have you here uh, today at Greenbelt. Um, if you are a guest with us today, a very special welcome to you. If you're kind of visiting us through our Facebook Live uh, stream, it's great to have you here as well. Uh, we are in uh, week three of a series called The Blessed Life. And what always happens when you're a first-time guest, you know, at church, and you're like, oh, my goodness, I walked into week three. Don't worry, you'll be able to catch up and follow along everything that's going on, I promise. Well, but we've been talking about, as followers of Jesus, what does it mean to truly live a blessed life? And it's important to um, give a little bit of a reminder that if you are here today, and if you, or if you are watching this online, and you would say you know what, I'm not really too sure about this Jesus guy. I'm not really too sure that I believed he was the Son of God. I'm not really too sure that he died for my sins. And, and I don't really, you know, believe fully what you believe. And if that is you, I'm so glad that you're here. I really hope that you're blessed by our time together and blessed by watching this online. But the Bible verses that we are going to be looking at are for Christians, The problem that we have sometimes as followers of Jesus is taking this book and mandating that non-Christians live by it. And, And that's a problem. Because what we do is we take Bible verses and we say, see, 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 this is how you're supposed to live. But they don't believe in God. They don't believe in Jesus. They you know, and they wouldn't call themselves a Christian. And the problem with doing that is these Bible verses, most of the time, there are verses that talk about non-Christians. But if you're in the New Testament, if you're looking at the writings of the apostles, 99% of the time he's not talking to them. He's talking to us. Get your act together, Christian. Because the world is looking at you. And if you are the representation of God on earth, um, deal with your sin. Deal with your interpersonal problems. Deal with your sex struggles. Deal with your money struggles. Deal with all the mess that's going on in your life. You need to deal with that as followers of Jesus. So again, if you're here today and you wouldn't say you're a Christian, you're off the hook on anything that I share today. But my hope for you is that you would get a bit of a glimpse of who God is and how much God loves you. And that you weren't created by accident. You were created by a a God in heaven who loves you. So we've been talking about this idea of what does it mean for us to live a blessed life? Because who, show of hands, would like to be a little bit more blessed in your life? (laughs) Yeah, hands go up all the time when I ask that, right? Who would like a little bit more money in your life? Who would like to have a little bit more free time? Okay, like that, that even, that concept, free time, I don't even know what that means. Like that is such a foreign concept in my life because my time is not free in any kind of way. It's being absorbed and lots of people have a wonderful plan for my time. <laughs> Just like a lot of people have a wonderful plan for your time, right? So we would like to be more blessed. But the words of Jesus are fascinating on this topic that if you and I as his followers, as his disciple, would like to be more blessed, Jesus said, it is more blessed to give than to receive. And we live in a culture today that is all about receiving, 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 receiving. 
And culture would say that's how we're more blessed, (laughs) by what we get. Jesus says you are more blessed not by what you get, but rather by what you give. (laughs) So if we truly want to be living a blessed life, it starts with having a heart of generosity. And that's what we looked at in week one of this series. We talked about how does it, what does it look like to have a heart of generosity with our time and with our money? What does it look like to truly develop a heart of generosity? Because the key to the blessed life starts with a heart of generosity. And that was our big idea in week one. In week two, we talked about the tithe. We talked about what does it look like in our lives, again, as followers of Jesus, when we give God my first and my best so that we can trust that he will bless the rest. You know, and that's a great message. I think if you if you missed last week, I would encourage every single one of you to go onto our Facebook page and check that message out because there is so much confusion when it comes to the tithe in our church today. There is a movement of Christians who say you need to tithe so that you will get more money. Okay, I'd love to see those people who believe that kind of have a theological argument or debate that proof or that theological viewpoint with the Apostle Paul. <laughs> as he's in prison, as everyone hates him and everyone's trying to kill him, how he's got no place to live, he's always on the road. Or I'd love to see those theologians try to debate that with Jesus, who said the Son of Man has no place to even lay his head. <laughs> right? We don't give so that we can get <laughs> God knows the heart of every single one of us, but we will give God our first and our best so that we could trust him with the rest, right? You want to preach? I'm good. Okay. I'm always about training up new preachers. Okay. Next week, we're going to finish this series off and we're going to talk about how you and I use, use our time, how we use our time in order to be a blessing everywhere that we go. And today what we're going to do is we're going to continue on this theme of generosity. I am going to talk about money again today. Again, if you're here and you go, man, why is this guy talking about money? And um, this is the kind of the ground rule of this series. If your heart goes to, oh, the only reason he's talking about money is because he wants my money. Don't give. Don't give. Because the Bible teaches that God wants us to give out of a heart of generosity. That God wants us to give out of a heart of not because we were guilted, not because we were, we were manipulated, because, but because God has put on our hearts how to be generous, right? So, and I get it. Money is an uncomfortable topic. There are so many uncomfortable topics in the Bible. Sin, hell, sex, money, they're all in there. So we have to be comfortable enough to talk about those difficult subjects. But I get it. Sometimes when we talk about money... A little funny thing goes on in our hearts, and if you feel that that's going on in your heart, do not give, because you have heart work to do. And that is the point of this series, to help you and I do this heart work. So we're going to talk about giving again. We're going to talk about a heart of generosity. And today's message is going to be a lot more practical than last week's. Last week, we went over a lot of scripture verses and and a lot of kind of the theological ideas of giving and how God blesses our giving Today, I want us to look at how do we actually start implementing this? And does the Bible have anything to say about how you and I can develop a heart of generosity? And that's what the purpose is today. We're going to get very practical how you and I can grow in developing a heart of generosity. 
So I'm going to start in Proverbs chapter 22. And this is a great verse. I love this verse in Proverbs 22, verse 9. It says this, He who has a generous eye will be blessed. He who has a generous eye will be blessed. And again, when the Bible's talking about blessing, it doesn't mean about what you're receiving. But it, it talks about this idea of, of being within God's favor. That, that God's love and his presence is a part of your life. And so he, the, the writer of Proverbs says, He who has a generous eye will receive that blessing of God. Not what you get, but just that presence of God, that closeness with God because of our generous eye. And I love that term, the generous eye. What does that mean? Well, some of you may have an eye for fashion. When I say that, do you understand what that means? Yeah, is that you're just good with clothing. I do not have an eye for fashion. Okay, if it wasn't for my wife and my daughter, I would be here in dirty jeans and Star Wars t-shirts. Okay, that's just the way I dress. I leave the house in the clothes I slept in. Okay, I just don't care. Okay, like, I'm married. I'm not trying to impress anybody anymore, except for her. She's the only one I'm trying to impress, okay? I will, I have no eye for fashion. I've been wearing the same jeans, okay, for the last 15 years. And they go, well, that jean, that, that brand's not in style anymore. I, I didn't even know there was a style, okay? Jeans are jeans, okay? No, no eye for fashion. Some of you might have an eye for food. You're a foodie. Like, you just get it. Like, you're, you're one of those people, and you post these picture, pictures on Instagram of the food you eat, and I go, you put that in your mouth? <laughs> like, that's not, like, spaghetti. It's not McDonald's. It's not, like, I'm very simple when it comes to food, but some of you might have an eye for food. All right, some of you have an eye for sports. You're just amazing at sports, and when you go to a sporting thing, you can tell I don't have an eye for sports, but when you go to a sporting thing, you can see, like, boom, they're going to call that play, and they call the play, or they call the penalty, or they call the whatever. I'm like, how did you even see that? Well, that's offside. What does that even mean, <laughs> offside? Just kick the ball into the net. Who cares if it's offside? Just kick it, you know? So we develop an eye for something, food, fashion, sports, whatever that might be. How did you grow in developing an eye of fashion? How did you grow in an eye of food, an eye of sports? Well, the way you grew in that eye is you practiced, you learned, you studied. Right? You don't just walk into, a, like an example, a sporting event. Again, not a sports guy. Right? You don't just walk into a hockey game for the very first time and understand completely the game. You have to study it. You have to research it. You kind of go online and you check what does this mean. You check what the plays mean. You check this. And the more and more and more you do that, the more you develop an eye for it. It's the same thing with generosity. It's the exact same thing with generosity. You and I, in our flesh, will not naturally be generous. And we can read a Bible passage, a Bible verse, or all these things we've been looking at and say... Well, I'm going to be generous. And I know what will happen. You'll leave and you will not be any more generous than what you were before you heard the sermon about generosity. Because information's not enough. 
Information doesn't always lead to life change. We've got to practice this. We've got to put steps in place. We have to develop a plan. We've got to kind of grow in this. And that's what I want to talk about today. How do you and I develop an eye of generosity so that we can be blessed? But before we get into the kind of practical side of this, I want us to just spend a couple of minutes talking about where I believe Satan wants to hit us as Christians in our world today when it comes to generosity. I think there's two different mindsets that we can fall into if we're not careful when it comes to generosity, when it comes to our money, when it comes to what we have, right? Again, last week we did something called the blessed test. And we saw that most of the world that that we live in today lives on less than $2 a day. So with that statistic of most of the world living on $2 a day, how many of you would say, I'm blessed? I'm blessed. Even the poorest of us in this room, compared to the rest of the world, we're blessed. We're so blessed. But we can respond to that blessing in a very bad way. And the Bible shows us that there are two ways that you and I can respond to the way God has blessed us here in our city. We can respond with pride, or we can respond with shame. We can respond to the blessing that God has poured out on us with pride or with shame. So let's just quickly look at those and see how those can mess up our generosity. When it comes to the idea of pride, Jesus says some incredible words in the book of Revelation, chapter 3, verse 17. He says this to the church of uh, Laodicea. And this is what Jesus says. He says, you say, I am rich and I have acquired wealth and I do not need a thing. But you do not realize that you are wretched, pitiful, poor, blind, and naked. This is the words of Jesus to the church that is going, I'm rich. I'm wealthy. I have required wealth, and I do not need a thing. If you were to look at the world that we live in today, just randomly pick a country where you think that today's church would fit in that idea. But Canada, we're so rich. And we need to knock out a few walls. Ah, we're rich. We don't need a thing. Ah, we need to hire some more staff. We're rich. We don't need a thing. We need to buy some books. We need to go on some training. We need this. We need, we need, we need. Ah, we're rich. Money has a way of building up pride. Where we go, you know what? I'm so rich. I'm so well off. Really? I don't even really need God to step in because I can take care of it myself. And Jesus has a warning for us. If we develop that kind of heart in our ministries or in our lives where we become more dependent on money than we become dependent on God himself, Jesus says, man, you don't even realize that you're wretched, you're pitiful, you're poor. You're blind and you're naked. Jesus says, if we have put our trust in our wealth and we don't need anything else, 
Jesus says we are so poor (laughs) because we are missing out on the true riches of God. (laughs) And the enemy would love for churches in Canada and North America to think, man, we are so rich, we can just figure this all out on our own. We don't have to pray. We don't have to seek God's will because we've got this really nice balanced budget and we can do all of these things because we're so rich. (laughs) Right? But we got to be mindful that we don't let that kind of pride get in because being prideful this way, then suddenly we start thinking, well, I've earned this. We've worked hard for this. So why would I ever want to be generous with something that I have worked hard for and something that is mine to begin with? So we got to watch out for pride. The other thing, the flip side, the opposite side of that coin that we have to be watchful for is the idea of shame. And I think we as Canadians, we're really, we're really guilty of this one, right? It's this whole idea that we see that we've been blessed and, and we kind of, kind of walk around going, well, you know, I guess I understand. Well, no, it's not a big deal. You know, and we kind of like go like the Eeyore kind of way from Winnie the Pooh, right? Right? And we actually see that in the Bible. When God blesses Jacob in Genesis chapter 32, right? Jacob prays this. He says, Oh Lord, who said to me, I will make you prosper. Right? God promised Jacob, I am going to bless you. I'm going to bless you so much so that you can be a blessing to the entire world. And Jacob's response to that was, Well, you know, I'm unworthy of all the kindness and faithfulness that you've shown your servant. What, what? I'm unworthy. I don't deserve this. I'm not very good. As soon as we start thinking with shame, again, we put the focus back on us instead of on God. Here's the thing. God uses people. Regular, ordinary, broken, sinful people. It's never about you. It's never about how good you are, how holy you are, how righteous you are. God sits there and he picks and chooses who he's going to work through to bring glory to his name, to lift up his fame, not our own. So we got to be mindful of this shame attitude. We don't want to be prideful. But we don't want to be shameful either, because when we have a heart of shame, then we can just have such a pity party, we forget the reasons why God blessed us. And so, again, a a bit of a reminder. Why did God bless you? Why did God bless you? This is what the Apostle Paul says in 2 Corinthians chapter 9, verse 11. Paul said, you will be made rich in every way, so that you can be generous on every occasion. And through us, your generosity will result in thanksgiving to God. That is why God blesses. God does not bless you so that you can give, so that you can just get more stuff. God doesn't bless you so that you can be generous when you feel like it, or when it's convenient. God doesn't bless you so you can spend all of your blessing on yourself and be generous if there's anything left over. God blesses you. He makes you rich in every way 
so that you can be generous on every occasion so that people will think you are awesome. No. So that people will be pointed to God and they will give thanksgiving not to you, but to God for your generosity. That's why we as followers of Jesus, we have to grow in a heart of generosity because it's not about what we get, but it's about who you and I represent. And when we live lives of generosity, people give thanksgiving to God, right? And so this is kind of the big idea today, right? So because God has blessed us with more, we will intentionally give more. This is the way kind of the body of Christ works around the entire world. The expectation is the churches that God has blessed with more, the expectation is that they will intentionally give more. One of the things that I love about being a part of our fellowship of churches Like here in Ontario and English-speaking Quebec, we're part of this organization where we have 270-odd churches who work together. And there are a lot of these churches. Most of, more than half, are really struggling. Out of the 270 churches, I think currently right now, about 80 of them don't even have a senior pastor because they can't afford to pay for one. They're in rough shape, And the beauty of our relationship as a fellowship is that the churches where God is blessing, we have the opportunity to pour into those areas of ministry, to help bring the message of Jesus into these communities that need that. Because God has blessed us with more so that we can be intentionally giving more. That's having a generous eye. So how do we grow in that generous eye so that we can be used by God in order to grow in this? I'm going to look at three different things here that we can see in the Bible to help you and I develop a generous eye. And I would encourage you to write these things down and uh, talk about them in your life group this week. If you are not in a life group, I'd encourage you to download our church app or go onto the website. There's a big button there on the app that says join a group. Find a group that works for you and your schedule. Because we firmly believe we want every single adult who calls Greenbelt home to be part of a group. Okay? And talking about these things and growing in these things together. So three different ways that the Bible talks about how we can develop our eye for generosity. The first is this. Is that we have to practice being a spontaneous giver. Right? A spontaneous giver. This is the idea... That our eyes are opened and we actually notice what's going on in the world around us. Or we actually notice what's happening right in our own little sphere of influence. In our school, in our workplace, in our community, wherever that might be. Do you have eyes that are open to the needs of people around you? Jesus tells a very famous story. In Luke chapter 10. And this story is so famous, even most non-Christians know this story. It's the story of the Good Samaritan. Everybody loves a Good Samaritan. 
The good Samaritan is the person who saw a need and responded to it spontaneously. Now, what's fascinating about that story when it's not just about doing a good deed for someone when you notice it. When Jesus is telling this story, he's talking to these religious people. He's talking to their pridefulness. Their pridefulness. And he's saying, um, well, here's a story of this person who was robbed and who was beaten and is dying on the side of the road. And a religious Jewish person walks by and does nothing. And then a leader from the Jewish temple, the church, walks by and does nothing. But then a Samaritan shows up. Now, if you're not familiar with kind of ancient Jewish history, the Jewish people back then hated the Samaritans. They were like lowly, disgusting dogs. There were sinners and there were Samaritans. Hated them. And this Samaritan sees a Jewish man beaten and dying and spontaneously gives to respond to the need. And Jesus says, This is how he responds in Luke chapter 10, verse 35. He says, the next day he took out two silver coins and gave them to the innkeeper. He brought the wounded man to an innkeeper. He took out his money spontaneously and he said, look after him. And when I return, I will reimburse you for any extra expenses that you have. Growing in an eye of generosity means we have to have our eyes opened to what's going on around us. Sadly, you and I are busy. We're overwhelmed. There's so many things going on in life. And and, and sometimes what we do is we kind of put these blinders on. And we stay very focused on my life, on my problems, on my issues. And we kind of go through life like this. And we might notice some things directly in front of us. You know, things going on with my spouse or things going on with my kids. But we as Christians, we're called to open up our eyes because there's a world around us that needs our love and our care and our support and our generosity. When we see the needs of people and we can respond, you know, just spontaneously, that takes practice. And one of the things that I love about our church here is we are great at this. Could we get better at it? Absolutely. But this church, I am always blown away on how generous this church is when a need comes up like that. And, and, and we have been helping people in the seven years that I have been here. And I wish I could tell you all the stories and ways that people have blessed people spontaneously, spontaneously this way. But because of kind of pastoral counseling rules, I can't reveal this stuff. It's confidential. You just got to take my word for it. We have had people who have been stuck, could not pay bills, and people have paid their bills. We have had people who couldn't get groceries, and people bought their groceries. We have had people who couldn't afford their medication, and people bought their medication. Incredibly generous, spontaneously. See a need, respond to the need. But it takes practice. It takes practice. So maybe for some of you, it's, it's time to move your blinders from like this to just opening them up just a little bit more. <laughs> just a little bit more. And if you're already here, maybe open it up just a little bit more. <laughs> Take some time to look around. Can I see a need that I can fulfill, 
that I can grow in being a spontaneous giver, right? Because if your eyes are completely blinded to what's going on around you, this is what Paul is saying. The reason that we are blessed is so that we can give generously to people so that, we, that it would not point to how great we are and how wonderful we are, but it would point them to a God who loves them and reveal God to them in a very practical way. So we have to open our eyes a little bit and grow in that. So that's the first way that we can develop our heart of generosity, by practicing being a spontaneous giver. The second way that we can grow our heart of generosity, or sorry, our eyes of generosity, is by becoming a strategic giver. Being a strategic giver. Right? Last week, I talked about the tithe. And I know, again, the tithe can get all, we can get all theological and argue, and is it required, is it not required, and all of that. But we can easily go back to the New Testament where Paul says, ask God. God doesn't want you to give out of guilt or out of religious obligation. Ask God. How many of us, like, ask God daily, how much should I give away today? That's not the default. In our flesh, that's not how we wake up in the morning. Lord, how much of my money can I give away today? Give me a number, God. How many of you start your day off that way? Don't put your hands up. But some of you do. (laughs) And I met people who do. And we're going to talk about those crazy people in in the third point. Okay? But how do we, being strategic in our giving, um, when it comes to tithing, for example, if you wanted to give God your first and your best, you wanted to give a 10% of your income to give it to God and trust God with the rest, it takes strategy. That doesn't just develop overnight. That takes planning. That takes organizing. That actually takes a little bit of work, intentional work, to make that happen. Right? And I love how it says this in Isaiah chapter 32, verse 8. It says, But generous people plan to do what is generous. And they stand firm in their generosity. Right? Generous people plan to do what is generous. There are times when we can be spontaneously generous. But if you truly want to grow your eye of generosity, you and I have got to figure this out, and we have to put a plan in place. One of the things that my wife and I did in order to become strategic givers, in order to become strategic givers, to have a plan, in order for me to be able to give my first and my best, to give my 10% to the church, it took work. One of the things that we had to implement into our lives is something called the budget. And I hate it. I hate budgeting. You have no idea. It goes against every cell in my body to sit down every two weeks and look at a piece of paper and look at the money that's gone out and the money that's come in. It's like I'd rather get a root canal without any drugs. Okay? But in order to be generous, I have to plan to be generous. It takes some work because by default... We won't do it. If we just say, oh, I read this verse in Isaiah. Lord, please make me a, 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 a strategic giver. Hallelujah. Amen. God, do it. 
I know what's going to happen. Life's going to happen. Satan's going to throw stuff at you. He's going to give you every single reason why you shouldn't implement that in your life. Your car is going to break down. Your kids are going to need money. You're going to lose your job. All of these things will get thrown at you when you make that decision to be strategic. But this is what the Bible says. But but generous people plan. They plan to be generous. And when God puts those numbers on your heart, and the Bible says he will do that, when he does that, it says then we need to stand firm in the generosity. Like I've shared this already in the course of this series. When we made the decision to be strategic givers, uh, the enemy threw everything at us. Everything. My transmission blew. My basement flooded. Not once, but twice. And I was like, you know what? I got to stand firm in this. I got to stand firm in this. And then we saw some traction starting to happen. We saw we started getting ahead. It's like, all right, this is awesome. This is awesome. We're getting ahead. We're getting ahead. God's blessing us. Hallelujah. And then Danielle lost her job. Oh, are you kidding me? (laughs) Really? (laughs) But we stayed focused. (laughs) But we stayed focused because there was a plan. So do you have a plan? Maybe for you it's not 10% because that's just crazy talk. But is it 0.001? Right? And, if you're, and, and this is what I love about this strategic giving. When people say, well, Pastor, is this before taxes or after taxes? I don't care. There's no law on this. Just pick one. You know, for me, math, I like it. But I didn't want to have to calculate the before taxes and after taxes and the percentage. And, when I, and then I'm a theologian, so I go into the Old Testament and I start studying this. It's like, oh, well, it's not really like 10%. It's more like 19, plus all the additional Jewish parties. So it's more like 22. Well, the government already gets 33. So uh, I'm good on that. <laughs> you know, I've already paid that temple tax and government tax that way. So you know what? My paycheck is this amount. You know what I did? Calculated 10%. Is an easy number to figure out. That money comes in every two weeks. That number goes out every two weeks. Figure it out. What's your plan if it's 1%, 0.1%? Put a plan in place. Put a plan in place. And stick with the plan. Because we won't grow in this naturally. We won't grow in this naturally. So we have to stand firm in that generosity. And then the final way that you and I can grow and develop an eye of generosity is what is called the, I wrote the wrong, the sacrificial giver. The sacrificial giver. This is where the shoulders go up. This is where the shoulders go up. It's the idea that I will sacrifice something that I would have liked so that someone else can be blessed. There is no greater countercultural type of giving in our world today than this one. Because as a culture, we have moved away from thinking about the greater good. We have moved away from thinking about how do I bless the common man. We have moved into a culture and to an age where it is about the individual. And the reason why our politics and the reason why our world is going absolutely bananas is because we are all fighting for our individual rights. 
and your rights are crashing against my rights, and we have a system that's built around who's right and who's wrong. So if my right has to trump your right or your right has to trump my right, and we're getting into this big old mess, this idea of sacrificial giving, where I will deny myself something in order to bless someone else to point them to God. And Jesus talks about that type of giving more than any other type of giving. Jesus kind of implies that that's the benchmark, that that's what we should be aiming for, that that type of living is what we are called to as his followers. Right? Jesus tells this beautiful story in Mark chapter 12. And it says this, starting in verse 41. It says, Jesus sat down opposite the place where the offerings were put, and he watched the crowd putting their money into the temple treasury. Many rich people threw in large amounts, but a poor widow came and put in two very small copper coins, worth only a fraction of a penny. Calling his disciples to him, Jesus said, I tell you the truth, this poor widow has put more into the treasury than all the others. They gave out of their wealth, but she, out of her poverty, put in everything, all she had to live on. Right When Jesus went to the rich young man, and the rich young man was like, Jesus, tell me what I need to do to inherit eternal life. Jesus didn't kind of give this track and say, well, you just need to agree on these kind of five spiritual laws and understand that there's a God over here and there's this chasm and there's this God over here, you're over here, separated by your sin, and I'm going to die on the cross, and you just come over. <laughs> Why didn't he do that? It's like, how many of you would love for people to come up to you and say, Gee, like, you know, tell me how I can have eternal life? <laughs> Wouldn't you love it if someone came to you and asked, just directly asked you that? Are you prepared to answer that? I hope so. <laughs> okay? And Jesus' response is not, just believe in me. Jesus' response is, sell everything, and then follow me. And the Bible tells us that that man walks away because he couldn't do it. Couldn't give God his everything. And this is the beauty about the teachings of Jesus. Is Jesus live for his kingdom first. Then all these other things will be given to you. We need to live for the kingdom of God first. And it will require sacrifice. It will. But here's the beauty of God, is God himself is a God of sacrifice. That God in his love for you would leave heaven and would come and be born of a virgin. And he would live in sinful form, in human flesh. That he would live a perfect life without sin And that he would allow sinful men and women to arrest him, to beat him, to nail him on a cross, to be separated from God in that moment, to become sin for all of humanity, and then to be put in a tomb and to be risen from the dead, and then to ascend to God the Father where he is talking to God the Father on your behalf, not on how religious you are or how good you are, but on how much he loves you because he died for you. 
and you've trusted that. God is a God who has sacrificed everything for you so that you would be made right with him, that you would live in eternity with him. And our response is, wow, how can I sacrifice just even a little bit of my life in joy and celebration of what God has done for me? That's the benchmark. That's the goal, that we would be men and women, boys and girls who realize it. We're not living lives of consuming, but we are called to live lives of giving, to point people to a God who loves them, right? Because God demonstrated his own love for us in this, that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. You didn't earn it. You didn't deserve it, but it was given to you sacrificially. So how do we grow in that? How do we grow? In, it might be, well, it's time to maybe stop buying coffee every day and give that money to the homeless guy I pass on the street. But pastor, I won't get a tax receipt if I do that. Oh, who cares? Point that guy to Jesus. If the only reason you give is to get a tax receipt, I'm not a prophet, But that tax receipt, I think, one day will go away in this country. It's just going to, okay? Would you still give sacrificially if that perk went away? If your heart today is no, start working on that. Start working on that. What is that little thing? Well, maybe today I'm not going to buy my lunch. I'm going to eat peanut butter and jam today that money away how do we develop and grow in sacrificial giving for all of us we have to figure that out (laughs) i'm a toy guy i'm a gadget guy i love the latest and the greatest technology i have a garbage junkie piece of phone and i fight and curse with it every day and every day i sit there and go that's it that's it that's it i'm taking i'm throwing it i'm smashing it i'm going to the apple store and i'm buying this 1200 hundred dollar phone i'm done i'm done i'm done and then god goes no You have the crappy phone so that you can be a blessing to someone else. (laughs) And you know what? I have a pity party for about four seconds. And I say, thanks be to God that God would so sacrifice for me. And it's just a little suffering that I have to do. Phone, I'll live. (laughs) So that I can point other people to Jesus. Because God has blessed us with more, we will intentionally give more. We will be spontaneous. We will be strategic, sacrificial. Let's pray together.